Um, I'm so glad to be here with you tonight. And, you know, as the worship was happening, I thought, now it's Christmas. And then we had the kids' nativity, and I said, now, now it's definitely Christmas. And then my part came up, and I said, oh, maybe we could put a pause on Christmas. No, but, uh, you know, I, was, uh, I read an interesting excerpt from a book uh, called A Few Minutes with Andy Rooney, the late 60 Minutes commentator. Andy Rooney was responding to the charge that the news only covers the negative side of everything. And I'm sure you've identified with that very same complaint. Well, Rooney wrote, tonight we've put together a little news broadcast to give you an idea of how it would look if you had it your way. I'm here by the Mississippi. It's raining, but the river is not overflowing. It's banks. As a matter of fact, it doesn't look to me as though there's any danger of flood whatsoever. People are not piling up sandbags. No one has been forced to evacuate his home, and the governor has not asked that this be declared a federal disaster area. He went on, O'Hara Airport in Chicago is one of the nation's busiest. At 11 a.m., a jet aircraft with 168 passengers and 10 crew members on board started down the long runway. The plane headed for London, took off without incident. It landed without incident. Everyone on board is now in London. In Florida, the orange crop was hit by another night of average weather. The oranges just hung in there and grew. (laughs) Rooney pointed out that good news is not appreciated unless it is against the backdrop of bad news. Good news tends to get ignored. The story of Jesus Christ is the best news that has ever happened in the history of the world. But two factors cause it to be ignored today. At least I can think of two. First, the Christmas story is most widely is the most widely known story in history. As a result, many of us shrug it off as not being exciting or relevant to the problems we face today. And the second reason I believe people shrug it off is most people don't understand that they are in extremely dire circumstances concerning their eternal destiny. So the response to the Christmas story is, it's nice, but can you please pass the mashed potatoes? And I'm not sure what circumstances brought you here tonight, whether it was under compulsion from a loved one, or out of tradition, or this is a priority for you and your family. Whatever the reason, first, I'm glad you're here with us to celebrate. Second, I want to ask that for the next 10 minutes, you pay attention because there is some great encouragement and good news in the story I'm about to share. And our story comes from the Gospel of Luke. It starts out with, in those days, Caesar, uh, sorry, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor over Syria. And all went to be registered. Everyone to his own home. And also Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because Joseph 
was of the house of, and lineage of David. He went to be registered with his betrothed Mary, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And Mary gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. On Sunday mornings, we've been studying the book of Daniel, and one of the major themes of the book is all history is his story. It's the sovereignty of God. And the Christmas story reminds us of that. In these seven verses that seem like you could just pass by them right really quickly, that you might shrug it off and say, oh, I've heard that before. I want to just encourage you with three truths from these seven verses. You see, the Christmas story reminds us that truly all history is his story and that God is sovereignly in control. And that's the first encouragement I want to give to you is that God is in control and will accomplish all of his purposes. You see, in the beginning of that story, it said, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor over Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own home. God moves world powers that he might offer salvation. Do you realize that? In a world so full of sin, when we see people doing evil and world powers at war, sometimes we forget that these things are no surprise to God. He will use them to accomplish his good purposes for those who love him. And you must remember that, and the Christmas story can remind you of that. Consider for a moment Caesar Augustus. Luke tells us that in those days the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole world would be registered. Caesar Augustus made a decree to collect taxes. That's why he wanted everybody to go back to their home and register. He wanted to know all the men, all the Roman citizens, all the people under, under his authority so that he could collect taxes. Now, this decree went out to collect taxes. That was Caesar Augustus's purpose. But God had him make that decree to move Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem at just the right time. You see... God foretold this through the prophet Micah. In Micah 5.2 it said, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. God, it was critical that Joseph and Mary go to Bethlehem and God moved the heart of an emperor to, to call this census, this, to make everyone register that they might come and fulfill the prophecy in Micah. This is incredible, even from the standpoint of secular history. You see, Caesar Augustus, also known as Gaius Octavius, he ruled Rome from 27 B.C. to 14 A.D., 
And it was in his days that Romans began to worship Caesar, the emperor. In fact, his name, Augustus, is exalted one. And, and it was him, he was the first emperor who was worshipped. In fact, under Caesar Augustus, he ended all civil wars. He ushered in the Pax Romano, which is the Roman peace throughout the whole area. Caesar Augustus built Roman roads throughout the empire. And it was said that he, when he came into power in Rome, it was built from brick. But when he died, Rome was built from marvel. Caesar Augustus was an impressive emperor. But what's more impressive is what Caesar Augustus is most known for around the world. Do you know what that is? He's most known for calling a census, for calling everyone to go register. He's most known from Luke chapter 2, verse 1. That's how most people know Caesar Augustus throughout the world. You see, God made him known so that God could make himself known. If God is in control, we might ask ourselves, why is there so much evil? And the Bible answers this. John 3.17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Yeah, I know that there's evil in the world. There's dark events and evil people and people who will do evil to others. But the time for judgment is not yet. You see, God is still saving souls. So we might ask ourselves, so why are things so difficult? And I want to challenge you with this, that God is teaching us in the good and the bad. And he has an opportunity to provide for us. The fourth verse in our story says that Joseph went up from Galilee, uh, from the town of of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. By the way, just think about that for a minute. Bethlehem means house of bread. And from there God brought forth the bread of life that all who who eat of him will never be hungry again. Uh, God's beautiful provision there. But it says in our story that because Joseph was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed who was with child, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. You know, it was definitely not easy for the Holy Family to make this journey. I mean, just consider for a moment what it took. It wasn't easy to be the only virgin in history of all mankind. That certainly wasn't easy. I guarantee most people didn't believe it. It wasn't easy or convenient that the registration happened in the winter. I I know what you're saying. You're saying, well, wait a minute. People say that Christmas only was changed because Constantine, they're replacing pagan holidays. Well, I don't know if that's totally true. I know they say that uh, shepherds don't go out in the wintertime, but that's also not totally true. Uh, Bedouin shepherds still go out with their herds in winter. And and in fact, consider the birth announcement from John the Baptist, of John the Baptist to his father, Zechariah. Zechariah was carrying out his priestly duties on the Day of Atonement, which would have been the month of Tishri, September, October. And just after that period of Zechariah's priestly service, we find out that Elizabeth had become pregnant with John the Baptist. And six months later, then we find out that Mary is pregnant with the Lord. 
And so that would put her pregnancy sometime in March, and that would put her birth sometime in December. In fact, there's actually more evidence that, that this happened in winter. The church father, Irenaeus, uh, in the second century placed the conception of Jesus on March 25th. Likewise, other second century writers did. And, and there's, there's actually a few different ones who record the, the conception of Jesus in March. Now, we don't know for sure, and we can ask Jesus when we all get to heaven, okay? But until that point, I think there's good reason to believe that, that they were talking about the birth of Jesus being in December long before Constantine. So there's good reason to believe that December actually is that time of the birth of Christ, and it would be no easy journey in winter time. In fact, it certainly wasn't easily traveling nine months pregnant. In fact, you can Google map it. I, you can, I did it today. And it's a two-hour and 22-minute drive if you miss all the toll roads in Israel to get from Nazareth to Bethlehem today. Of course, for Mary and Joseph, it probably would have been a six-day journey. No doubt they, they knew that the time was coming for Mary to give birth. And that's probably one of the reasons why Joseph brought her with him for the registration. You know, it wasn't easy for Mary to give birth in an animal shelter. It wasn't easy. And it wasn't easy what was going to come, that they were going to flee to Egypt. God doesn't always make things easy, but he allows us to depend upon him and to wait on him and for his provision. What I see in both Mary and Joseph is great faith and great dependence upon God. If your Christmas is one of total joy and blessing with families and friends and fellowship, praise the Lord. Amen? Praise the Lord. But, but if, because the Lord is the giver of all good gifts, gifts, but if your Christmas is one of loneliness and separation and struggle, praise the Lord. No, no amens. Do we praise him in the good and in the bad? Yes, we do. We fix our eyes on Jesus. Praise the Lord. He will see you through. He will meet your needs through his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Either way, we all know that Christmas is a time for each of us individually to follow the example of faith and obedience that we see in Mary and Joseph. But God also uses that hardship, as I said before, to provide. And it was in Bethlehem that he provided for us the bread of life. And you know what? All who make a place for the Savior can have that eternal life. In our story, in the verse 7 of our story, it says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths. What is that? Well, that's strips of linen she wrapped him in. It, it, that was a common way to deal with newborn babies. And, and placed him in a manger because there was no room or no place for them in the inn. Darby writes, he began in a manger and ended on the cross. And along the way, he had nowhere to lay his head. You see, the birth of Christ also reflects the death of Christ. But I think it's so much more than that. I know those swaddling cloths. Seems so similar to, to where he was going to be laid in a tomb, as did all the Jewish babies. 
But I think there's something more special about that. It's how perfectly human Jesus was. And that's an important, don't, don't miss that point, that just like all the Jewish babies who were wrapped in swaddling cloths, and all the, all the Jews who died were wrapped in burial cloth, so was Jesus. And there was a point to that. You see, God tells us through Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. These humble circumstances that Jesus was born into, certainly not fitting for a king, but they were fitting for a human. And certainly not any of us would want to be born into those. They seem almost even more humble than most human births. But the fact was, as Jesus identified with us from birth all the way to death, taking our sins upon himself, that you and I might have the opportunity and the provision of eternal life in him. There were no angels flying around in front of the birthplace of Jesus. There were no heavenly chorals or trumpets. No voice from heaven declaring, this is my beloved son. Nope. Jesus steps into time is the most humble setting imaginable. And in fact, where that heavenly chorus happened was out in a field at night to shepherds. We'll talk about that tomorrow morning. But all who humble themselves and all who call upon him, he gives the right to become born of God. It's interesting that Isaiah gives, God speaks to the people of Israel and he says, the ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know my people, does not know. My people do not understand. And although this is a charge against Israel's rejection of him, that they can't even recognize the person who cares for them and provides for them, it's also, I believe, a challenge for us. You see, as I said in the beginning, this is the best news in the world that a Savior was born for you, for me. This is the greatest news ever. But there are many who don't even recognize the provision of God. They want to scorn God and say, well, I'll look to my own good works, my own good deeds. I'll try to be a better person. I'll look to all religions go to heaven. A couple years ago, there was a report that, that went out that 49% of professing Christians agree. This was in 1996. 49% of professing, professing Christians agree that all good people, whether they consider Jesus Christ to be Savior or not, will live in heaven after they die. Well, in two years ago in 2021, that same question went out. And 60% believe that if a person is good enough or does enough good things, they can earn their way into heaven. But friends, let me tell you, it doesn't matter what you believe, it matters what is true. And that's that God provided his son for you. That God provided a way that you might have eternal life. That your works are not good enough. For in the scriptures, Jesus tells us that many, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And what is the will of the Father? The will of the Father is to believe on his Son, Jesus Christ, that you might be forgiven of your sin and have eternal life. I want to challenge, encourage you today 
if you're here and you've never believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you might receive him, that you might make a place for him in your heart. Because I'll tell you this, it's the best news. And if you've never done it, it, it will uh, secure your eternal destiny. It, for uh, Your eternal destiny. Because Jesus paid the price. So with that said, I'm going to pray. And if you're in this room tonight, t- tonight and you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to pray with me right now. Let's pray. Lord God, forgive me of my sin. Lord, I need you. I want the bread of life. I want to be satisfied. And I want eternal life. I'm ready to follow you. I turn from my sin. Thank you for dying on that cross for me. We thank you, dear God, for your love. And we thank you that you came into those humble circumstances that we might seek you out, that we might find you. Lord, we love you. And I pray your blessing on each and every one who's joined us tonight. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do I have a mic on? Yeah. We have a little tradition that we like to end our service with. This light actually comes from the Grotto and the Nativity, the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem. I'm waiting on the, there we go. And it's quite incredible how one light can bring light to so many. Jesus, light of the world, who promises that all who believe in him will never walk in darkness. Can we turn off the lights there? Sorry, I'm having trouble getting this. There we go. So if you would stand up.
time, verse 1. Emmanuel, which means God with us. He was revealed as a Savior, the Christ, the Messiah. He came to pay the price that we all might be forgiven of our sins. He's the light of the world. He's the light of life. And to all who receive him, to those who call on his name, he gives the right to become children of God. Children not born of a man, but born of God. As this light went forth from Bethlehem and came all the way to us tonight, and as, as I've given it to you, this is symbolic that you might go and give it to others. May God bless you, and Merry Christmas. Amen. Amen.